everybody. Welcome to another episode of All the WrestleManias, the podcast. I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm your co-host, Rich Sigwald. We are always excited to be in the studio with you, and we're especially excited this evening. We've got a fantastic show to talk about. We're talking about WrestleMania three from all the way back in 1987. It's a monumental moment in the history of professional wrestling. And on top of that, we're extra super duper excited because we have some uh, colleagues, some co-hosts, some friends uh, in the studio with us, and we're um, we're saying hello to the co-hosts of the Turtle Wars podcast, Andy and Jeff. Hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? Hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> it's great to have you here. Um, hopefully, you guys caught the sort of crossover we did with the Turtle Wars guys uh, maybe a month or two back. We uh, They were nice enough to invite us on their show, and, we, and then promptly horrified them with our uh, extensive rambling about professional wrestling, and they immediately regretted it. <laughs> No, it was a really good episode. You guys do have a very extensive uh, knowledge of of uh, wrestling, though. I was very impressed. It makes us a lot of fun at the parties. <laughs> oh yeah, all the ladies love yeah. us. So tell us some more about Roddy Piper. Like, well, <laughs> so if they don't enjoy the party. You're at the wrong party. That's right. <laughs> So yeah, um, so welcome to the show. We, um, you're our first podcast uh, guest. We've had uh, we've had an expert on here before to talk about some academic side of things, but we haven't had any sort of colleagues from the the podcast verse. So any uh, any people who are not who are zero, zero expertise in anything? Yeah, you are you are our first zero expertise uh, guest. So welcome. That's awesome. We love we love to share our extensive lack of expertise on all subjects, so we're happy to do that here. Yeah, <laughs> well, you guys will fit right in. Um, so tell us maybe <laughs> a little bit about the the Turtle Wars podcast and uh, and what it's all about. How you, maybe how you got started and where folks can find you. So, well, as far as where to find us, we have a website that technically I would say is probably still under development. Was it TurtleWars.net? And that it has all the links to it and every of all of our stuff, but um, it definitely needs a little bit of work. So it's a very bare bones website, but that is the best place to go because that has all the links to everything for me or Andy or anything. And then as far as the podcast itself, we don't really like, you know, you guys, uh, your podcast is all the WrestleManias. You is pretty straightforward. You talk about all the WrestleManias. Um, and most podcasts seem to have some sort of a, a driving you know, goal in that way. But, um, me and Andy, we've known each other most of our lives and, uh, we've spent a lot of time. We just sit around talking and, uh, we feel that our conversations get pretty funny and, you know, our, our families used to always say like, Oh my gosh, you guys get going, you start talking. And after a while it just sounds like, Oh, cause like you guys are just talking so fast and laughing so hard. And so we were, you know, in this age of podcasts and we both listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff. And we're like, yeah, you know, like we're talking anyways, we should just record this. So that's pretty much our podcast is just the uh, conversation. Um, whatever the topic starts out as is never what the show ends up being about. So <laughs> yeah, I guess if, if you had to, to classify our, our, our show, it's just pretty much me and Andy talking about whatever. Rambling and tangents. There you go. That's a, that's a, we, it should be called that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good name. <laughs> Actually. Yeah. Maybe you should add it like after a, a colon. You know, in sort of the true academic title fashion, Turtle Wars, colon, rambling and tangents. So, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say you guys do a lot of like, uh, say, nerd culture kind of stuff, right? Comics and games yeah. and some sci-fi. That is true. You could, you could pinpoint us into into leaning more towards stuff like that, um, especially we don't ever really get into politics or anything real everything yeah i guess everything's pretty pop culture based mm-hmm. yeah we had a little bit of a conversation on your show about like oh the the whole discussion about well oh isn't wrestling fake and uh you know we mm-hmm. kind of talked about like well isn't everything fake so why not talk about any of it right like 
Um, yeah. Who who gives a shit? Yeah, yeah, it's a very valid point. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's still. I think I said it in that episode. That still, I, I was talking to someone. Uh, Tim uh, was telling them about your podcast and everything, and we were talking about it. And I was like, it still, it still blows my mind that. Almost any time I talk to someone about um, wrestling and stuff, the, one of the first things people inevitably say seems to be like, you know, that's not real. And I'm like, you know, nothing that you watch on TV is real, right? You do get that. <laughs> like, I don't see why you feel uh, obligated to point that out every time. There's a whole genre of television, the reality TV, which, yeah. is, which is scripted. <laughs> uh, I think it's probably more heavily scripted and edited and all that. Well, definitely more edited than, than WrestleMania because it's, you, know, you can't edit a, you know, in front of uh, tens of thousands of people. Yeah, so that's that's it's much less real. Almost any reality show you can name uh, has much less of an element of reality to it than than professional yes. wrestling. I mean, I mean, you can't <laughs> like. Are you gonna you gonna tell me that Walter White is real? Like that's gonna be like you're gonna exactly. So like exactly. you can have an entire <laughs> after show matter. talking about an episode of Breaking Bad, but you can't have you can't discuss professional wrestling where while the results are scripted and the storylines are, are, are driven, there's still the very real element of something horrible happening in the ring or a yeah. something gets confused or something. And they got to pivot on the spot to change. And those are the, those are those golden moments or everything does go according to plan. And what you then get to watch is beautiful choreography. And that is pretty much what mm -hmm. all of WrestleMania three is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's one of the best shows out there, to be honest. And when, again, when we were on your show, you asked us about, you know, what are some key matches that maybe people could watch who maybe don't have a whole lot of exposure that would kind of sort of point the way towards, you know, what, what they're missing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Rich, <laughs> because we've been, been, we haven't known each other as long as you guys have known each other, but, um, we've definitely maybe spent as many hours talking about wrestling as you guys have spent talking about other things. And we both came up with like the same two matches, uh, like almost instantly. And they're both on this card. So that's kind of, that's sort of remarkable to find that kind of uniformity or maybe we're just extra nerds. I don't know. So, um, before we, before we pivot to the show, I did want to ask about the name, the turtle wars. I don't, I don't think we actually talked about this last time where all that, uh, where that came from. I think it's great. I mean, it brings to mind Ninja Turtles, obviously, but then maybe that's maybe that's not a fair uh, jump to make. I don't know. It's entirely no, fair. It's, yeah, it's pretty much straight <laughs> up from the Ninja Turtles. It um, when it, all, all growing up, uh, Andy and I are both uh, huge uh, action figure collectors and Ninja Turtle fans, and um, uh, actually, um, I think Andy and another friend of his from his younger days, growing up, uh, create started playing it, and um, we basically take all of your action figures into. A spare room in the house and set them all up and kind of have like a really um intricate like three week long almost like a board game except without any dice or anything and since the predominant um uh, action figures that we all owned and mainly loved was the ninja turtles then it just became called a turtle war and um you know me and andy i'd say most of my best memories of childhood come from uh the turtle wars so once we started about having talking about having a show, that uh, just seemed like a no brainer. That's pretty awesome, I gotta say. Uh, people don't, um, I don't, people don't don't think enough about the veterans of the Turtle Wars, you know. Like uh, <laughs> exactly. we're always talking Greatest Generation, this and Vietnam, that. Where's the Where's the respect yeah. for the Turtle War vets? Yeah, no, there was some real heroism there. And Donatello uh, was in the shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've we've had plenty of parades for the heroes yeah. well that's good that's good <laughs> over the years yeah 
Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, the anthropologists will tell you, like, after training somebody to go off and do, like, the most antisocial thing you can do, which is to kill another human being, it's really important to have those rituals to bring people back into the culture so that, um, you know, they, they still feel cleansed and sort of accepted again. And that's, you know, that's where we yeah. went wrong with Vietnam, right? The people didn't get that thing. So it's good that you have had right. parades for your turtles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's important to bring the action figures back into, you know, into some sense of normalcy after, yeah. Yeah. Uh, after what they, they endured. My buddies and I, we were super into the G.I. Joe's, the little, little three and a half inch guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my sister had this really elaborate dollhouse that my dad had gotten for her from some some guy who used to build them and um we used to just we used to take it over and sort of run these like kind of diehard sort of scenarios with the uh the gi joes and the dollhouse figurines mm-hmm. and uh it was it was pretty rad i gotta say i'm not gonna be surprised by this but i had an entire wrestling federation that my gi joes were for they you know, nice. if other kids in the neighborhood came over to play, yeah, okay, yeah, there's soldiers, but immediately they're gone. It's all wrestlers. And <laughs> there are there are heel turns, there was face turns, and they were, you know, there was there was the standing champion that like carried the company and it was it was very elaborate. The heel and face lines didn't go down the Joe and Cobra lines either. So that's good. You mix it up. All that's that good. stuff was thrown out. So they were all they were the GI Joes, but you were you were using them as to build your own wrestling world. Yes, they were my entire wrestling world. <laughs> nice, that's awesome. Yeah, did you have a ring? for No. Them? So they had a platform that was also the box that they all lived in. Okay, and they fought <laughs> on the platform. There was no ring, and so there was yeah. tons of like super risky like high jumps off the off the platform on the people and people breaking through the platforms and stuff. So yeah, it's dangerous. It's dangerous sport. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'd be very intense if you, if all your matches if you took the ropes away. <laughs> all right, are you guys ready to talk some wrestling? Heck yeah! Um, so we are talking again. We are talking with the Turtle Wars guys. This is WrestleMania three that we're getting into. This is from March twenty ninth, nineteen eighty seven, from the Pontiac Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan, just outside of Detroit. Attendance on this bad boy is a ninety three thousand one hundred and seventy three. Uh, that's disputed per Wikipedia, and there's a lot of discussion about. How many people were there? How many tickets were comped? How many were blah, 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 blah. But 93,000-ish is pretty close, we think. And uh, it's an attendance record that stood for a long, long time. Uh, The Pope actually ended up breaking it for a live indoor event. Um, uh, It took a long time, though. I think like 1999 was when it was finally uh, overturned. The tagline on this one is bigger, better, badder, which I totally remember. Um, and, uh, so what, uh, what we usually do is we'll throw it to Rich to talk a little bit about some background and history, and then we'll kind of go through the, the matches one by one. Um, so for this one, uh, Andy and Jeff came over and hung out at my place a couple weekends ago on a Sunday night. My wife was, um, very indulgent and, uh, uh, we had a bean dip. It was delicious. We had some uh, fresh vegetables, also delicious. Uh, we watched uh, watched some wrestling, so um, we'll just kind of we'll just kind of talk and talk them through. But first, we'll uh, we'll toss it to Rich. And uh, what kind of history do you want to talk about for this guy? Well, we can. There's there's lots of angles going into WrestleMania three. So at this point, the NWA really hasn't tried to throw an answer at them at WWF yet. They're not, they're not buying into the, Oh yeah, you're going to take your New York, New England territory across the whole country. Sure. Uh, 
even though WrestleMania 2 was in three different events on two different coasts and in Chicago. And then they move WrestleMania 3 is in Detroit, which is nowhere really close to the WWF territory at the time. But the NWA is only doing Starcade, and there's a big difference when you watch Starcade to WrestleMania. And the Starcades are mostly just um, supercard events. So when you say a supercard, it's more like it's just they put big names together to fight, not necessarily give them a reason to fight. Um, WWF with WrestleMania is one of the first ones to put together the combo of having storylines leading into the uh, mega card uh, super card concept Uh, and honestly with wrestlemania 3 i personally feel like they got it perfectly balanced every match has a reason every match has a story every match has a big time name in it if you look at the card and think of the territories you see a lot of matches of people that are known that were famous before in different territories. So you have a junkyard dog and, um, Harley race. They're mostly known in the South, but here they are fighting in Detroit under the new England territory name. So like they're firing, they're firing salvos. Coco beware was out of the South, the Southern territories, um, King Kong Bundy as well. Uh, Iron Sheik was, was in Michigan or not Michigan, but, uh, Minnesota with the AWA a bit before this, as was Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan got his, uh, legs under him in Minnesota before coming to WWF. Um, so if you look at it that way, this is really WWF's like, kind of like subtle middle finger to all the other wrestling companies and wrestling like we took all your names, we've given them a storyline, and we've put them on our biggest show in front of 93,000 people in a goddamn dome in Detroit. Suck it, NWA. So, right. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah, so it's time to get into the event. The sun is out. The dome is open. It's Michigan in March or April or when the, yeah, March. So it's it's probably a bit frosty. I don't know. Um so the uh, the inimitable, the incomparable Aretha Franklin does uh, America the Beautiful to start us off. She sounds awesome. Vince McMahon apparently doesn't like the Star Spangled Banner, so he always has his uh, his his events start with America the Beautiful, which personally I'm in favor of. Uh, yeah, it's a better song. It's a better song. It's easier to sing. Makes a little more sense. I don't know. Turtle Wars. Turtle Wars. You guys. Uh, you guys have a vote in this. Uh, America the Beautiful versus Star Spangled Banner. Star Spangled Banner, you don't need to know as much of the context. I mean, well, no, reverse that. Uh, America the Beautiful, you don't need to know the context behind it for it to make sense. Star Spangled Banner, if you heard it and had never heard of like the uh, the bombing of the the Ford in Baltimore and all that and just didn't know what the background, you'd be like, what am I even listening to? Like, what's this? What's the song? What's this this even about? Like, and how is it about my entire country and and my life up to this point? But America the Beautiful, you get in like the lyrics tell the story. Of, of it's a nice country so it's it's, more, it's, it's, it's a got more scenery song. it's got green it's got all this stuff yeah they tell they, they tell you about it in the song <laughs> you don't need any background you don't need any context to it it's right there in the song they're telling you everything you need to know 
I'd say regardless of what the song was, I think the having Aretha Franklin singing was the right call. True that. She should have done the mashup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she could have uh, blended them together. Yeah, I feel like maybe listening to America yeah. the Mar- no wait Star Spangled Banner and not knowing the War of eighteen twelve stuff would be like listening to a Bruce Springsteen song. And when you didn't like know what New Jersey was, you'd just be totally lost. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All I can think about during this whole thing is that like there's fans just sitting like two feet away from her. I, I, you can, they're like, they could touch her. They could, they could, yeah, they could play on the piano with her if they've reached really far. It's, it's mind blowing to see that in modern, modern context, like they would never let you be that close to a performer, especially a performer on the level of Aretha Franklin at this time. Yeah. You, yeah. No, you're not getting anywhere close to her. And the opening video montage always gets me for this one because there's so many shots from downtown Baltimore. It's so nice <laughs> to me. I see to see positive portrayals of Baltimore city. It starts with uh, Fort McHenry and we see down light street and Pratt street and we see the Harbor while they're constructing. It's like video, I think shooting down from the construction of the gallery place at the inner Harbor. It's, I enjoy it. I, it makes me happy every time. It's like, Oh look, there's someone that likes Baltimore. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. You can't even see the rats from that high up. I know. It's so, nice. so, uh, so the opening match is a, is a quick one. It's the Can-Am connection, which is Rick Martel, boo and Tom Zank versus uh cowboy Bob Orton and the magnificent Morocco who are managed by Mr. Fuji. Um, the Can-Am Connection are in uh, matching white trunks. They're the faces here. Good old Bob Orton, name from a uh, name from the past, uh, and Magnificent Morocco, name from the annals of your steroids dealer, are uh, uh, are here to have a good time. Um, did you guys did you guys have any thoughts about uh, about this match? Do you remember anything that happened here? It's a quick one. Yeah, and maybe this was just my mind going to some kind of a stereotype or something that it shouldn't have gone to. But I, I like I just I thought that Mr. Fuji, not knowing in who any of these individuals were this time, I thought he was going to take on all four of them. <laughs> I thought it was just going to be this guy with the cane, uh, this dapper looking gentleman with the cane, was just going to whip everyone else in the ring. But yeah, I thought did. the same thing when I had to ask. I had to ask you, Tim. I was like, "Is he the second? He said, "No, he's the manager." I was like, "Oh man," because he started to step out of the ring. I was like, "Wait a minute, where's where's he going?" <laughs> I mean, don't be it's fooled, Mister Mister Fuji could whip everyone's ass in that ring at I that time. Him. He he was a, he was a genuine badass. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why I was sad to see him. Yeah, leave. the last episode we did is actually from '84. Uh, Mister Fuji was was in the ring, throwing down, whooping up on some people. Um, so nice. yeah, um, I don't know. There's not maybe not a whole lot to talk about here. Rick Martel had a had a pretty solid career. He became the model. He tag teamed with Tito Santana. Um, Tom Zank is a sort of the Z man. Yeah, the, he came the Z man over in NWA. Well, he came back in uh, in uh, WCW in the '90s, I think, as a Z man too, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I was telling the guys about Bob Orton and his sort of cast trick uh, <laughs> the perpetual <laughs> broken arm it's amazing the thing never heals he, it's, he just he won't stay off of it it just will never set right and he needs more know. calcium in his diet clearly yeah, I guess actually it's, not a bad idea always be ready for self-defense i mean you got a cast on you're ready to watch someone <laughs> supposedly that's how ted bundy got some I people see. into his van right he uh anyway that's different so never mind 
So that, that's how that's how he got people to wrestle him in the <laughs> ring. Is that yeah? You're like I'm, I've, I've got my arms broken. No, I'm not. I'm not going to choke you to death. Yeah. My arms broken. You're, you're not going to. I'll be fine. I'm just here with my broken arm. Um, so <laughs> no, these guys move fast. There's kind of a dirty finish there. I, I always think that uh, Martel looks like Scott Bayo a little bit, which kind of weirds me out. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I definitely could see that. No. As we get into um, you know the the uh, the very the matches and the uh, the wrestlers in each match, it br- it brings up uh, a question that I had is like the share of you know I don't want to use the term market share because that's too you know too much in economics, but uh, like WWF from that, that period of time as a kid growing up, that was the only show that I knew about wrestling wise. Uh, like what was their share of you know the most popular wrestlers share of eyeballs or however you want to put it you know versus the other um the other promotions or the, or what else whatever else was out there so wwf is a uh has the nbc show at this point that would occasionally substitute for uh snl um and so that's the only show at this time that has nationwide network coverage which in the early 80s is a big, big deal because, you know, cable wasn't widespread yet. Satellite was for the people that had a bit more, a bit more money. Cause you had to install a freaking satellite dish in your backyard. Um, so WWF definitely was dominant. Um, the only thing that at this point that was, that was pushing on them was WCW was on TBS and was visible, you know, for those that had cable and satellite on, on the superstation. And, and I think the superstation was over the air in some areas as well. So you could catch them. I definitely watched them as well because my parents were early adopters of cable. Bless them. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then it's not until like either the late eighties or early nineties that the AWA shows up on ESPN. Uh, so it's really just WWF, and WCW, uh, NWA at this point that has widespread appeal and draw. Everything else is this on like local television stuff. So like, if you can imagine like the Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler stuff just happened on like local network television. Like it's, like right. it's, it's just over the air on your aerial. If you're within a hundred miles of Memphis, that's it. That, that, I guess that explains it. Uh, having having not had cable at the time, why uh, the WWF would have seemed like the only thing wrestling had going on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that was Vince McMahon's sort of genius, and also kind of his his evil. <laughs> he he broke up those uh, those systems of territories, and all you know, all those folks that operated for you know a couple of decades, sort of dividing up the areas among them. It's like, all right, you've got from like Oklahoma to you know the edge of Louisiana, right? And you we don't mess with you, you don't mess with us. Occasionally, we'll swap some people back and forth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and once Vince took over from his father, he's like, yeah, fuck all that. I'm going to get cable and I'm going to like push my product into all of these areas and, and then they won't be able to sell tickets and eventually they'll sell to me. And that's, that's, that's exactly what happened. So, um, it's, it's weird. It seems like it's, it's, um, it's sort of a Walmart kind of thing. Right. And like, it's seeing it's capitalism, uh, on a, on a smaller scale or on a particular industry scale. And it seems it's sad, but it also kind of seems like inevitable. You know what I mean? Like, 
Right. And mm-hmm. placement is also, also key. He had New York city, you know, that's, that's the big town. That's, you know, he's, he's booking normal shows at Madison square garden once a month. You just, once a month, you can go down the MSG and, and see Hulk Hogan and junkyard dog and, you know, macho man and Tito Santana. You can see all these big names and it's not a coincidence that like, NBC broadcasts out of New York, you know, like he's already got these natural connections that are just because they're in the same city and he's their geographic thing. And so he can shove their product down their throat and be like, look, we got the superior wrestling product. And, you know, we just watched that show from 1984 and that's just a local New York broadcast over the MSG network. And it looks, looked better on television than any of these, NWA shows that we watched that came up to like 10 years later, just because the production values and New York city is a big, re- big reason for that. You just have more money to spend. Yeah. All right. We got it. Remember what we said about, uh, keep it moving. So we don't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait, we're talking about WrestleMania three. Well, it's got to work in the morning, man. Um, match number yeah. two is yeah. Billy Jack Haynes. You guys might remember him as the dude with Oregon written across his butt versus, uh, Hercules, who you might remember as, the guy with the chains who does the promo where he seems to suggest that he's a mythological figure. I can't, I can't quite remember. Um, Hercules is managed by the great Bobby, the brain Heenan. It's a singles match. I don't know. This is a boring one. Did you guys catch anything from this one that you, uh, that stood out? Um, I like, you know, I mean the, the, the whole using the chains at the end of the match and everything. But, um, I think, like you said, that, that's what really stood out to me is when he's doing his intros and talking and everything. And um, I think one of us were talking and, and like I was listening sort of out of the side of my head. And I was like, wait a minute, did he just say he's actually Hercules? Like the real Hercules from. And so that's, you know, yeah, he just threw it in there game. like as an aside. Yeah, by the way, I'm immortal. Like, oh, by the way, I'm the yeah <laughs> he talks about so he's got a chain around his neck which which clearly came from the true value hardware um and he says he says quote that his chains are from thousands of years ago when i used them to pull down the pillars of rome that wasn't hercules yeah. first of all that that's not him <laughs> i think with the pulling down the pillars he's probably referencing samson but that also wasn't rome that's um, what I thought of, yeah. uh, also fictional so who knows yeah, I guess you can't really say what pillars the real Hercules did or did not pull down, <laughs> considering they're, whether they're not there. You know, that that would get you into the whole whether or not there was a real Hercules. So maybe maybe he was onto something, or uh, maybe he was just kind of talk, talking at his, at his uh, other end. But it's hard, hard way, to say. Hard, he, to, hard to get inside his head. He has a he had a gimmick that you know he stood out. Oh yeah, he's me. leaning into it for sure. So the other thing going on in this match is both of these guys claim to be quote the master of the full Nelson. So they their finishing move is uh, you guys may remember this from your junior high wrestling where you just put the full Nelson on the guy, um, and uh, it's it's the world's most boring finishing move. Um, so there's a lot of them just taking turns putting that on, and me taking a nap in between. Um, you, you may also remember the hold from when they steal your lunch money. That's, it's the, it's the same hold. Um, and everybody knows that Bobby, Bobby Lashley is the master of, of the full Nelson. He hasn't been born yet. So Um, that's not fair. Yeah. No. So this, this is, uh, the, our early appearance of Dave Hebner, the referee. Um, I'm one of these guys that pays attention to the referee a little bit. So Dave Hebner has a twin brother 
uh, Earl Hebner. He's the more famous one out of the brothers, but he hasn't come to WWF yet. And he's going to debut soon after this to where they're identical twins and they're going to switch. And Earl is crooked and costs Hulk Hogan the belt after four years. But I assume that it's in their genes that they're both super easily distracted by anything else. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It is, it is uh, a Hebner uh, trait, and that's why they're professional wrestling. A lot of people referees. don't know, actually, when you go to uh, audition for being a ref, like part of it is they take one of those like laser pointers and they like just they flash it and they <laughs> see how, see how distractible you are. And you're like, oh, 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 oh. Then you know, it's like, oh, you're in. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, here, like, job. you've got one job. Okay. What's that over there? <laughs> Pay attention to these two yeah, giant is- dudes in the ring. What? Oh, mirrors. Squirrel. Pay attention to what the other ninety some thousand people here are looking at. <laughs> Don't be the one person not looking. <laughs> this is this match is also where we see the little ring car for the first Woo! time in in WrestleMania three, um, and it kind of cuts it kind of cuts the edge off of something. So like, you know, you just beat the tar out of Billy Jack Haynes, and then you get on your little ring car go kart and get driven away. <laughs> the edge is taken off, you know. I feel bit. like the little ring cart should but, make like farting noises as it goes up the aisle. <laughs> I kind of want the autograph of the driver. I'm not going to lie. Like if he showed up at the next celeb fest, I'm getting in his line. That's I'll pay 20 bucks for him. I think it, I think it added something to it. Sort of a, kind of like a parade float feel sometimes the way they, they you know, the, the various wrestlers were kind of grandstanding and that kind of thing as they wrote out. They definitely took full advantage of the camera work uh, and, and using the drama of that little cart. And that little cart has a very important uh, reason. And that reason is because Andre the giant didn't have the stamina to make it all the way from the locker room to the ring. And so their solution was if he could walk as far as to get on the cart, they would drive him to the ring. And so they're like, it'd be weird if we didn't do it for everybody. So let's just drive everybody to the ring in a little Although cart. not everybody uses it. Some of the more energetic guys just fucking no. sprint. Um, all right. Last thing I mentioned about this match. This is the first uh, color we get on this card. Maybe is this the only, maybe? I think it's the only blood on this yeah, show. Yeah. Um, Hercules wraps the chain around his uh, fist and pops good old uh, Billy Jack right in the forehead. Um, yeah, which guys, that was a yeah, that was shot. pretty exciting, huh? Yeah. So we talked when uh, when the guys we talked a little bit about blading and how all that works, and uh, so we're 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 breaking them in, exposing the business. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so this is a this is a fun one. This is a six man mixed tag team match. Uh, you've got two little people on a side and one monster dude on each side. So on the face side, you've got good old hillbilly Jim, who's a who's a good old boy in overalls, um, with the Haiti kid and little Beaver, <laughs> <laughs> Beaver, <laughs> Beaver, <laughs> versus uh, on the heel side, you got King Kong Bundy with little Tokyo and Lord Littlebrook. Um, and just, you know, just a note too, that these guys, uh, some of these little people, um, wrestlers have been active since like the forties at this point, like decades of matches and just unbelievable careers. So I, I definitely recommend looking them up. Um, yeah, little beaver is 52 in this match and this is his very last match. 
He's the guy that gets squashed. Spoiler right. alert. Yeah, that's a pretty good in that old. Yeah, yeah. The the this this I, you know, this match is is enjoyable for what it is. There's a lot of uh, a lot of punches to the boiler, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, King Kong Bundy gets referred to as a condominium with legs. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I just there's a lot of beaver all over the place, and then he he gets. Bundy squashes him, big old disqualification, and you get this amazing dramatic shot. This is the first one of this show of the many dramatic shots. This amazing shot of Hillbilly Jim carrying a limp and lifeless little beaver back on his cart. It's in it's it pulls at the heartstrings. Oh yeah. so sad. <laughs> I remember having a brief conversation when we watched it about you know some aspect of it not aging well, but I I think uh, I mean just as far as the drama and the you know the the choreography and the way the whole thing played out it was uh it was one of the more memorable matches to me. Yeah, it really is. It's uh it's pretty remarkable. Um, the Hillbilly Jim like kind of faded away, but he was super over for a long time. Um, he was kind of like. He was like the hillbilly Hulk Hogan. Like he was like all the kids loved him. Mm-hmm. Um, the other fun thing about this match is that Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre comes out on commentary. So he, uh, he makes a lot of the commentary about people getting hit in the boiler, um, <laughs> which I think he means balls. I'm not sure though. Um, did you guys have any other thoughts on this, on this match? It's, I don't know. It's kind of a trip. I enjoy it actually. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it was, it was entertaining. Um, is that, um, Having the guys team up with uh, little people and come out on, in the, is that still something that's done in modern day wrestling? No, the last time I can remember like serious, like use of, of uh, little people. I know there was some other stuff after it, but the most recent one that I can think of was in the mid nineties with uh, Jerry Lawler with his, he had a crew of three little people and then there was uh doink versus doink the clown who had three little people also with him doink dink and okay i want to say dunk and donk or something like that it was like <laughs> and it was totally ridiculous and over the top and it's a it has a payoff at a survivor series and it's probably the worst match on that survivor series sadly so oh. it, it just didn't have the comic uh, relief that this this one had and but also those guys just weren't quite as skilled as these veterans like lord littlebrook and little tokyo and little beaver and the haiti kid are like they're the they're i don't know um hulk hogan level in in little people wrestling yeah haiti, haiti kid by the way is still around still kicking he uh he showed up on the wwe like interview thing not that long mm-hmm. ago um maybe it was on that 360 days or whatever it was called that that documentary we talked about oh, yeah maybe on 350 days um, yeah i think he was on that yeah. yeah 350 days um yeah i i think sometimes on the indie shows or um i think maybe especially in lucha uh lucha libre in mexico you may still get like uh you know little people tag matches um you know not not mixed but just straight um so just a little bit well, I guess my last question on that would be um, uh, uh, that you guys know of, has there ever been an um, instance of a wrestler who was a little person who went up against, you know, a regular full-size behemoth of a guy just, but without being teamed up with another 
giant guy or something like just one who stood about and stood on their own i've never seen it but i'm sure it's probably happened but the pro the reason why that, that would be very unlikely is just because at this time period kayfabe was a thing and so if you're trying to sell tickets to get butts and seats you need to have matches that come off as believable sure. and no one's going to believe 400 pound king kong bundy versus 100 pound little beaver one on one like no one's going to buy that no one's going to believe that it's it's realistic and buy tickets to see it that makes sense i'd say in the early 2000s there's a wrestler and they, they called hornswoggle who was sort of a he's sort yeah. of a, a leprechaun gimmick um mm. i don't know if you remember that that at all um and at various times he was supposed to be Vince McMahon's illegitimate child and he was <laughs> teamed with an Irish wrestler named Finlay and he was involved in a lot of stuff actually we saw him in one of those autograph yeah. shows not too long ago um, it's quite possible he had a match with like Big Show uh, I, I actually I think <laughs> yeah, he might have actually had a one on one against Big Show yeah yeah. this is uh, this is something for our research department yeah, we'll get, to we'll, that, we'll get on yeah. that okay so we, we don't have a research department <laughs> no right. that's me that's tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> Why you're supposed to be working? Yeah. All right, next match is Junkyard Dog versus uh, the King whoa, Harley whoa, Race. Whoa, Bobby whoa. we got to back up. What you're jumping miss? over what a Macho Man and Elizabeth promo with Mary Hart. So, oh my God, I forgot. Go yeah, for it. So, like, uh, Mary Hart wants to interview Elizabeth, and like Macho Man immediately steps in, blocks the camera. Like, you're not talking to Elizabeth. You got to talk to me the macho man and like just takes over everything and that he's not capable of uh sharing the uh the spotlight and then he ends the promo by saying that his phone number is on the back of his license plate <laughs> what does that even mean no idea and then you're going to also jump over the junkyard dog promo that happened before this match man you can't you can't skip this stuff this is the stuff that makes this special we were eating we were eating bean dip um we didn't take notes oh my god I'm sorry. oh my god there's this country never had no king queen the only time i've been told to bow down to anyone was my parents tell me to bow to the man above you missed this poetry from junkyard dog man you can't i do remember that, that speech that line you can't you can't skip it you can't you can't just blow by those stuff that stuff man and not even for bean dip. No, I don't like beans. I don't like bean dip. So <laughs> what? All right, podcast over. No, <laughs> we're not friends anymore. Fine. Look, Jeff's sister made some amazing bean dip, and uh, and the the Harris Teeter made some amazing cupcakes. We didn't didn't have time for all this writing notes. I'll, I'll gladly <laughs> just eat the plain tortilla chips. Thank you. You made more than enough yeah. pencil notes. Junkyard Dog is a man of the people. He's. He's uh, he's down with the proletariat. Yeah, grab them yeah. cakes. God damn, I love that song. <laughs> you guys have any memories of the JYD? Ever do you remember seeing him before? Yeah, and uh, we did. They did have that aspect to, to this match that I think was one of you know the what made it kind of memorable is um, that whole you know the junkyard dog and the. I, I wasn't familiar with the character that he was, not the character, the, the individual that he was, that he wrestled in this match. I, I, you know, that was the first time it had been introduced to him. So they went for like opposite extremes here uh, in an almost, I'd say pseudo political sense or something. 
um, which made, gave it an interesting, you know, obviously decades later, you can't touch something like that with a 10 foot pole before you, you know, you, you uh, end up creating all kinds of animosity and stuff. But uh, to, to see that in like, I guess a more almost innocent era, the sort of, you know, the, the man of the people versus, you know, this guy is sort of a, like on a, you know, this gilded God in his own mind, sort of character or sort of person. Uh, th- that, that to me is what stood out about the match. The, the race aspect to this match, uh, definitely they know about it. They, it's intentionally done, I believe. Um, so it's supposed to be kind of a class class war as well as like, you know, just, you know, Harley race is the king and this, and like, he's kind of like a goofy king, like a evil, bad king. And I'm, I wonder if they did that as like, kind of just like, uh, like a little jab at the NWA. Cause he's a former NWA world champion. Uh, Ric Flair's took the belt off of him for Ric Flair's first, uh, world championship. So you got that. And then junkyard dog was unbelievably like the most popular wrestler in like Mississippi, Louisiana territories and Florida territories, which knowing their history with race relations down there is very surprising. Like he broke color barriers kind of, even though like it wasn't like it was segregated, but like for someone to be African-American, to be as popular and over as Junkyard Dog was down there. And then use, so before he came to WWF, he used uh, Another One Bites the Dust as his entrance music. So he's using music by Queen coming in down in the South, and he is the most popular wrestler ever to them. Hmm. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, actually, there's a there's a pretty good biography. It's called King of New Orleans about his uh, time. He used to just fill the, uh, uh, I guess, what was the Superdome, whatever the the previous equivalent was downtown New Orleans. Uh, anytime he was in town, he was a he was a big deal. Um, so he's he's a lot of fun. I like that his pants say thump. Um, <laughs> he like his grab them cakes music. Yeah, uh, he does. Uh, he does a lot of uh, headbutts. Like one of the gimmicks is that his head is extraordinarily hard for some reason i'm not sure if that's racist or not i don't know it's it's weird enough to like maybe only be kind of racist i, I don't, i'm not sure you know the the whole dog like the dog persona because he gets on all fours and everything and you know i was like okay wait a second is he gonna is he gonna try to bite this dude but then the, i think i think the headbutt is just to me it just seemed like a stand-in for a for a illegal for an Ill- what would have been an illegal bite yeah just like a crawling uh headbutt yeah <laughs> leading with his head i mean before the match he does say just as sure as i'm black i the day is sunny so like <laughs> race is race is definitely playing into this like he they're playing it up this is that's the whole point of this match um you know there's there's not much to the match but it's great storytelling again with this match there's you know junkyard dog humiliates harley race multiple times with harley missing the big head butts the dropping head butts and face planting constantly. Um, and then hitting him with the crawling head, butt while he's down on the ground and stuff, it's, it's, there's, there's some subtlety and art to the presentation of this match that can, uh, can just blow by if you're just eating bean dip and cupcakes and not really paying attention to what's happening on the show. Uh, co-host. Yeah. Mm. I feel like I feel like I'm being judged right now. I don't appreciate it. <laughs> Some of it was pretty subtle, but I give them credit for not shying away from that aspect of it of, of, of the match. Yeah, they definitely lean into it. Um, so this is a loser must bow match. 
Um, so in, in theory, you know, the, whoever loses has to like whatever bow and, uh, to the, to the winner, um, and JYD loses, um, but instead of bowing, he just takes the chair to, uh, to good old Harley race, <laughs> which, which is a, a perfect finish. It allows everybody to feel good about it. Right. Like the racists are like, oh yeah, he beat that black guy. And then everybody else is like, yeah, but fuck that guy. He's, he's using the chair on him anyway. Um, I thought, I thought it was a good finish, honestly. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, a scary spot in this match. I, I, this was the first time I noticed it. So there's a point to where uh, Harley gets dumped through the ropes out of the ring and it's kind of close to the corner. And as he's tumbling down off the, off the apron to the floor, his head comes dangerously close to the steel steps. And you can see Bobby Heenan slide his hand in there and catch Harley Race's head. And if he didn't oh. do that, Harley, the back of Harley Race's head was going to catch right on the corner of the steel steps. Um, I recommend rewinding, watching that little bit and seeing if you can catch it. Damn. It's, 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 it's scary. Like I never noticed it before. And like, I had to rewind it a couple times. Be like, wow, Heenan saved Harley Race's life in this match. <laughs> Good looking out, Bobby. Good looking yeah. out. That would have sucked. All right. So moving on, uh, I didn't mention also that uh, Fabulous Mula is also here as a uh, another valet slash manager for Harley Race. Crown jewels. Yeah. <laughs> um, everybody in this race in this match is dead. By the way, just thought I'd point that out. Oh, wow. so, um, sorry, didn't mean to bring everybody oh. down. There's an absolutely bonkers Hulk Hogan promo next. Uh, bonkers. Like, I don't know what the fuck this guy's talking about. They said it. What the fuck is this guy talking about? <laughs> they said it was his last ride. He was out banging and hanging. You got to live and die and face the truth. To beat Hulk Hogan, Andre will need to beat everyone. If the dirty air doesn't kill you, the politicians will. What? <laughs> and like, it's like, it's like, by the way, he says it. <laughs> yeah, he, he channels the ultimate warrior or something here. Like it's what, what kind of what kind of right winger cares about air pollution, Hawkster? <laughs> did you guys, did you guys, did you guys know what he was talking about? Tanging and banging is the phrase that I keep coming back to. I think it has must have something to do with uh, weightlifting. That's the only thing I can think of. Hulk Hogan has 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 three hobbies: weightlifting, steroids, and racism. Those are his, <laughs> those are his three hobbies. Yeah. Yes. Trying to imagine him like how he fits into the regular world outside of. <laughs> I mean, is, is is this like at the you know like when when he's having dinner with family or whatever, and they they want him to pass the butter? Is is there a tirade like every, every time it happens? Where like by the end of it, he's on a completely different subject than any you know that doesn't even make sense and is, has no relevance to the real world, or is it? Is there? I mean, can he function as a normal human? You imagine him trying to order like a pound of ham at the deli mar- at the deli counter. Yeah, really. Like, like, what is going on, sir? Sir, this is a Wendy's. Yeah, I would say he definitely found his calling. Yeah, he starts hulking up when they tell him that they're they're out of like hamburger rolls and like, <sighs> yeah, really, brother. Like, just gets just gets worked up. Just he's gotta he's sir. gotta recover. It was pro wrestling or street preacher. Those were the options. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I want to say he was actually the front man of a rock and roll band. I think he played guitar. Yeah. Actually, I think that he was a he was a half-assed guitarist, and then he became a 
full-fledged steroidal maniac. Yeah, like uh, like as most wrestlers at this time period, he came out of the bar scene either as a musician that really wanted to become wrestler, a wrestler and bodybuilder, or they were a bouncer at the bar. And the guy that owns the local wrestling school is like, "You should come and, and wrestle. You should you come meet me at a barn in negative thirty degrees tomorrow morning." And you do it because why not? Yeah, <laughs> you sold it. <laughs> it's like, well, in that case, right? <laughs> exactly. All right. Yeah. So, so Hawk Hogan goes off to, uh, to harangue the valet or whatever he's going to do. I don't know. And we get, uh, we get the dream team next, which is Brutus Beefcake um, versus, and Greg the Hammer Valentine. Your favorite. One of my personal favorites. One of my personal favorites, yeah, uh, good old Greg uh, with uh, Dino Bravo and and luscious Johnny Valiant. I don't know why they have so many damn people with them. Versus the the Rougeau brothers, good old Jacques and Raymond from uh, Montreal, Canada. Um, so like, I yeah, this is a uh, there's some there's some top notch talent in this match. Yeah, um, there's a lot going on. Do you guys remember any of these uh, any of these faces familiar? The only one I could think maybe would be Brutus, who might ring a bell. Mm, I don't. I mean, for me, I'm not before the match, but I remember, uh, you know, wishing that I could come up with some reason to have the word luscious in my name. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too late, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, it's never too late. That could be your entire. We could do that right now. <laughs> yeah, just going down to City Hall. Just drop your last name. Just be Luscious Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) You change your first name to your last name. That'd be awesome. Oh, man. I I definitely want to be friends if you did that. (laughs) Like right now, I'm kind of on the fence, but it's like that was. Once I become Luscious, that'll seal the deal. (laughs) uh, And Andy, Andy, you're a. And you could be a Hammer Andy. Yeah. Hammer Andy. You'd almost have to. (laughs) To get into pro wrestling at that point though you'd almost have to go out there and wrestle like you can't you can't have a name like that and not uh you know that next thing you know you'd be seeing me in these like like lucha matches and stuff you could also become a snowboarder i think yeah i guess yeah. it would work okay for that i don't know about <laughs> luscious like or, I, I think that's it that sounds more more of a wrestling or a bum like fighter a you can do a bum fighting <laughs> all great ideas hey don't don't fight the homeless ladies and gentlemen we don't condone that on this show um yeah so let's see there's a lot of chaos in this match um oh my god i don't (laughs) remember so much trash being thrown when i watched this the last time like people i guess i guess they've had enough time to get a couple beers in them and they're just throwing their shit they didn't like just it's insane how out of control this crowd is at this point so what is it uh specifically at these wrestlers or were they just like they didn't like these guys like yeah. on you know move to the next match or they, no they don't they don't like the dream team and they're so and they're drunk they're starting to get drunk because it's detroit yeah. in march yeah it's michigan they're drunk all the yeah. time <laughs> um this is brutus's face turn this yeah. is the first half of it at least i should say um and so a lot of things that comes out of uh brutus the barber beefcake happens at this so Brutus is from, um, I think he's from Florida originally. Yeah. The last time we um, saw him, he was from parts unknown. Yeah. Parts unknown. <laughs> he's from fucking Tampa. Yeah, they know, like, they know where he's from now. Unknown Tampa. Yeah. 
He's also built from early, right around this time. He was also built from San Francisco, and he's got like the fishnets. And I think they were sort of subtly hinting that Brutus might be gay. There's like this whole kind of you know '80s sort of thing going on, um, but that's not ever come out. So the big thing that happens in this match is is Dino Bravo, um, who kind of kind of gets himself involved in this match, uh, and then sort of splits off with Greg the hammer and they leave Brutus uh, in the ring to be jumped by both Rougeau brothers. And that's not good. You don't want to have to fight two Canadians at the same time. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Um, and so that's, yeah. So that, that gets the crowd on um, Brutus's side and kind of sets him up for uh, what happens in the next match there. Yeah, I, do, I do remember this one descending a bit into chaos in the last, uh, toward the end there. Yeah, yeah, and then it doesn't make sense. I don't understand why they just suddenly leave Brutus behind in the ring, but they do, and um, now he's a good guy. Everybody likes him. <laughs> it's all that matters. Um, he's like the ugly, the ugly duckling. You know, you feel bad for him. Just a side note: if so. you ever, if you, Dino Bravo is a fascinating guy, and I highly recommend uh, watching his Dark Side of the Ring episode about him. And his mob ties and his mysterious murder. Oh, wow. Top. Yeah. It's not all that mysterious. He was shot like 12 times in the head. Um, (laughs) They don't know who did it. That that aspect of it, like the cause of death is not mysterious. No. (laughs) Yeah, he had, was it a cousin? He had a close family member who was like basically running like the Montreal mob. Um, And it was sort of like, well, anytime you want to get out of this wrestling business and come to work you know where we are and eventually the wrestling thing dried up and he went to work and you know shit happens right so you guys have seen the movies you know what happens so yeah and the, the montreal mob if i were to join any mob i'd want to join an, an alliterative one like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're a good one yeah. they're a good one the closest learn, thing to a european city on this continent you know learn so. a lot of uh, french swear words and threats those little tiny cigarettes <laughs> it's too much split pea soup for me. Yeah. I got all the health care though. Mm. Yeah. It's when you get shot by your best buddy. Um so all right. Uh next up, Rowdy Rowdy Piper, God what a gem, versus the adorable Adrian Adonis. And an amazing uh, who's managed by Jimmy Hart. Amazing promo. Don't skip it. Yeah. By Hot Rod. It's a Hot Rod's uh, transphobic promo yeah, here. Yeah, you think Hot Rod is going to be humiliated by someone who wears a dress? No retreat, no surrender. No. <laughs> I mean, the irony is not lost that he's wearing a kilt. So I remember finding Rowdy Roddy Piper uh, to be a memorable wrestler mainly because of the name and the kilt. But uh, I had I learned over the course of this that he was that there was there was more to him than that, that he was a uh, a, a prominent uh, kind of top um, top level guy for a while there. Yeah, I mean he was he was uh, Hulk Hogan's main nemesis for mm-hmm. for a bit, and uh, he was he was always an asshole even when he was a face. Like he was he was amazing as a heel as a bad guy, um, and because he just he just had that like smarmy kind of smart ass like just absolute contempt for everybody. Um, and they made him into a face at one point and he got really popular, but like it was, for me, it was never quite the same. Like, Roddy Piper is one of those guys. So like whenever they, you, you hear interviews of wrestlers talking about whether they preferred being baby face or heel, they would almost always say heel because 
it's easier, they'd say, because they can say whatever they want. When they're the good guy, they got to be more controlled. It's normally the good guy that controls the storyline through the promos and stuff. Meanwhile, you know, heel Ric Flair can go out there and call himself Space Mountain and offer mustache rides and stuff like that. Like, the good guy can't do that. Um, But Piper, even when he was a good guy, he didn't give a crap about what he said and just would just fly off the handle on people. Especially like when he wrestles Bret Hart later, um, he he cuts some genuinely passive aggressive friendly promos. But there's such deep cuts on Bret and his family that he's being a dick at the same time. Yeah, I bet I bet uh, Luscious Jeff could offer mustache rides and get away with it. Come on, ladies. Van, Come on down, Van, Luscious Jeff's mustache, right? Luscious Jeff's mustache, right? <laughs> oh, he rides. could be a carnival barker. Yeah, right. First one's free. <laughs> you won't need a second. <sighs> I'd never make any money. <laughs> so uh, that's all right. I don't think making the money is the purpose here. <laughs> yeah. So adorable Adrian Adonis here is built at 298 pounds. This is... This is relatively late in his career. He's uh, he's not looking great. He's wearing the world's largest pair of granny panties I've ever seen. Um, if you took all the underwears from a Tom Jones show now, like not in the 60s, and stitched mm-hmm. them together, that's, that's the underwear that he's wearing. Um, this is one that when my wife watched it with me, like the whole time she was just worried about his junk coming out. I'm like, he, he's a weird looking guy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is what surprised me though is I, I expected him to come out here being you know kind of in in Andre the Giant situation, like barely being able to walk across the ring. But this dude is jump jumping over the top rope and you know, flipping onto the floor. And I mean, how how old was he at the time? He wasn't that old. He's, fuck- He's he fucking looked, good, is I mean, what he is. He was born in hold on, uh, fifty three. So he's what fifty? No, eighty thirty one. Right. What 30, no, okay. 34. 34. Yeah. Math. Well, I mean, yeah. so regardless, I'd have to put it out there that I was that just, just based on the shape he was, he looked to be in, I was more impressed by his performance than anyone else who was in there. This is actually one of his last matches in WWF and actually one of the last matches of his life. Um, but this is, he's, he gets released from the WWF shortly after this because of his weight. And they mm-hmm. want him and he actually goes off to the AWA and loses a hundred pounds and they're like i mean it's the 80s he loses a hundred pounds in like three months (laughs) (laughs) it's uh it's some fen fen it's some uh probably some meth probably some cocaine good good cocktail happening um it's not good for the heart no and he uh he comes back to the east coast expecting to get signed by the wwf and he's driving to a show with some other wrestlers in a car and they are driving towards the sun and the driver supposedly gets blinded by the sun, suddenly sees a moose in the road, swerves and goes off a bridge. Hmm. Oh, geez. A moose. Hmm. Wow. And that is, that is Adrian's sad passing. He had gotten himself in a shape. He's ready to come back, ready to work some more. Cars are the biggest cause of death for wrestlers. Wow. So anyway, yeah. So these guys, uh, these guys really go at it. Like they uh, whip each other with the belt. And like um, you were, you guys were asking me about, all right, is that, you know, is that 
is that real? Is that part gimmick? You're like, no, like that's, they're actually hitting each other. Cause actually you can see the, the stripes on their backs. Um, after exchanging those belt shots. Yeah. And you, and you can't pull that, you know, you can, you can pull your, your, your hand back, but you can't, once that belt is uh, let loose, it's, it's going to find the target. Yeah. Thanks dad. That's one of the secrets in, 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 in the business here is that they use a super wide belt. So apparently the super wide belt makes a better sound, but hurts less. And so that's actually why they would use something like that. And so, um, I, I so let's see. <laughs> it looked like you were going to say something there, Andy. Uh, uh, I was just going to say the overall, you know, just a, a overall comment on the match. This is where, uh, and I guess this is leading up into the, the later part of the show. And it's it, to, where for, for me, it just, it, it seemed to, um, to get my attention more just in terms of the, the, the talent and the, you know everything that you put into a match—the talent, choreography, uh, the energy that went into it, and everything. Uh, this is where the the whole WrestleMania three started to really get my attention in terms of just the um, what you know the the production, the whole thing they had going on. Yeah, this is this is the theater. This is this match. They don't enforce any of the rules. You can't whip your opponent with a belt in the ring legally. You can't you can't do hardly any of the things that they do in this in this match. This is a complete blow off. The ref isn't the ref is pointless in this match. He's just he's basically just a timekeeper. He's telling them how much time they got to kill on the card, you know, until they got to get out of the ring. We got a little rundown from Tim while we were watching it on just what rules were being broken throughout this. Yeah, I'm sure. Didn't Didn't realize there were so many. We talked about some of the rules that are in the rule book, which doesn't exist, but um, but that some people, some matches they ignore some of them some matches they ignore all of them some matches they decide to enforce all or most of them it's kind of arbitrary depending on what they are trying to do with the the story and the uh and advancing the whatever plot that they got going on right so this one is kind of like there's no way in hell you're going to control roddy piper so you might as well just let him go these two hate each other so much just let just let them just let them get it out of their system here in the ring um, this is one of those matches that has a rare finish of the three arm drops. Like the opponent is actually out in the old eighties style, lifting the arm to see if it falls and uh, Adrian drops. And then Brutus for some reason grabs the clippers, starts shaving. And this is also where Brutus yeah. grabs the gardening shears that Adrian Adonis has that now becomes part of his gimmick, which is weird. I don't understand that transition. I don't, I don't get it, but he's Brutus the barber now, whether we like it or not. (laughs) As if his name, as if the name Brutus beefcake from parts unknown was not enough. Now he's Brutus the barber beefcake. I would go to him for a haircut just with that name. Yeah. If only it stuck around a couple more years, he probably could have been Luscious Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Yeah, Luscious Beefcake. That's a barber I'd go to. <laughs> luscious Beefcake. Oh, my God. Pretty certain there was a um, dancer at my wife's uh, uh, bachelorette party with that name. Didn't have any shares. Someone here order pizza? <laughs> I order a beefcake. Extra sausage? Anyway, Ooh. sorry. Um, Jesse Ventura comes out in a rattlesnake skin vest, uh, primarily to plug, um, predator, the movie, I think, um, it's not really much else that he does. Uh, he just wanted and to be announced up. as a racist. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> ah, good old Jesse. 
Um, next up is the Heart Foundation, Brett the Hitman Heart, my favorite, and Jim the Anvil Nightheart. Uh, there with Danny Davis, the uh, the renegade referee, uh, with Jimmy Hart as their manager, versus the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana with Matilda the Bulldog as their manager slash mascot. Um, so the, the background on this one, and I was explaining this one to the guys, is that um, Danny Davis uh, had been a referee and then sort of was got all devious and helped the um, Hart Foundation beat the British Bulldogs and uh, and get their titles. Uh, and so the WWE suspended him from wrestling for life plus, what did they say? Life ten plus? Ten years. Life plus ten, ten years. years. Yeah. Just in case he dig his corpse up and put him in the ring, he still can't referee until eleven years after yeah. his death. So, so for a, a very short period of time, they put him in this kind of like extra tight ref jersey and let him pretend to wrestle, even though he really he's clearly not a trained wrestler. They bring him in to do one or two moves and take him back out again, and then so yeah, somebody somebody thought that would be an interesting angle, but they were wrong. Uh, I mean, but the biggest angle out of this match is just Matilda, Matilda going after Jimmy Hart, which I'm pretty sure I heard a story that they like coated his like boots with like dog food or something to get Matilda <laughs> to do that. And then Jesse Ventura kidnapping her for no reason, no reason at all. This dog nap in the Matilda here and my heart breaks. I want the pup back. Yeah, it was terrible. Just like we were anti bum fighting. We are anti dog napping. It's it's one of the things we take a stand against on this show. It's one of the reasons we broadcast to be uh, raise awareness. So are you guys you guys pro or anti dog napping on uh, Turtle Wars? I would say strongly against, strongly opposed. I was going to say strongly for. Oh, you're, you're, oh yeah. You're in, in yeah. Favor I support of, all. Yeah. I support all sorts of animal abduction and abuse. Well, his, <laughs> his name is Luscious, so it's uh, right. obviously he's the bad guy here. He's the heel commentator of this team, and so that's right. He supports I got Morty right here. I'm about mm-hmm. to abduct him. <laughs> Ready, Morty? So maybe, maybe Ready? In, instead of um, you could be Luscious Jeff the dog catcher. Uh-huh. Like that. Yeah. There you uh, go. Not a, not as a wrestling name, but just just that would that's what you would do yeah. as, as Luscious Jeff. Yeah, so, so. <laughs> no, we're definitely put it on your van. We're definitely against all sorts of uh, any sort of animal cruelty. <laughs> oh, okay. well, I'm glad you clarified that. Yeah. <laughs> We wouldn't want to uh, cut that out of context and and send it to your boss or anything. Yeah. And this uh, is the match where like Gorilla Monsoon is really starting to get worked up. He's breaking into the into the the flow of the program and really just just really starting to talk. He loves Tito Santana so much. He just is singing his praises through the whole match, and he's also already calling Bret Hart the excellence of execution, which is like Bret's big tagline through his entire career. Um. Is this where it came from? Yeah. Or were they already? Uh, I think okay. Gorilla was already calling him that, but Gorilla came up with it. Just like Gorilla started calling the Undertaker the Phenom. So that's where like that whole thing came from too. So like there's a lot of things. Gorilla Monsoon had a huge influence on the WWF and still does to this day. Uh, even though he's been dead for several years now. He's that guy who's always making up nicknames for people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Chunger is one of my favorite ones by him. Hey, let's just Jeff. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon. That's another really good name. That's a great name. It's a great name. Uh, he also is talking about how he's always advocated for six man tags to have multiple referees. Um, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't think that. I don't think he's ever advocated for that. Anything else about these uh, these guys? Like, I think 
like you said, the, the dog napping is pretty much the whole show. Yeah. Do they um, ever um, follow up on that storyline? <laughs> Jesse Ventura is still stuck with Matilda right now. <laughs> she's she's forty years old. She's furious. The about only it. other thing I would note is that Danny takes a vicious pile driver from uh, Davy Boy Smith, and um, I had just recently read that um, or Dynamite Kid was actually hurt during this match, and that's why he's like barely ever in. But yeah, he just kind of stands in the corner for most of the thing. And Davey does most of the heavy lifting. Oh, and Tito, of course. I don't know if you guys have, if you haven't listened to much of the show, Tito Santana is another one of our favorites. He's just like, he's like the consummate good guy. He never turned heel. Right. Um, he just always seemed like a good dude. Like, like he could, he would pick you up at the airport for sure. Like he wouldn't even ask you for gas money. He would just come get you. And I am, I am getting tired of him standing me up at these autograph things. I've now been to two of these shows where he was billed to be there and he doesn't show up the day of. I'm too busy picking someone up at the airport. Uh, he probably is waiting at the airport for yeah. me to come get him. And no, <laughs> he had to, um, he had to cut his neighbor's grass that morning yeah. or yeah. Uh, get a cat out of the tree or whatever. I don't know. I mean, he spent 40 years being a good guy. Now it's, it's time for, it's time for a little Tito time. Yeah. You know, well, self-care is important. Next up is the natural Butch Reed, um, who actually passed away in the time between when we did this on the, blog and when we uh watch it this most recent time and he's managed by slick versus the Birdman, coco beware coco gets his uh his his buddy parrot parrot frankie frankie the parrot we're pretty sure that coco's music is by more stay in the time yeah um which is pretty rad yeah i i had a hard time watching this match i'll be honest with you just just even i i should have muted it i think just uh jesse ventura referring to uh saying that the B in Coco Beware stands for the name of the black member of the Little Rascals and then calls him that right. through the entirety oh, right. of the match. I don't even think that was appropriate to do then, um, <laughs> let alone now. Yeah, it's pretty extreme. I, mean, I, I guess what I found more most memorable about it is just the name. I think it's the best uh, of all the, the wrestlers they had on the show. I think Coco be Coco be aware is the name that I would most want to have come up with myself for myself personally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a solid one. It's clever. And he had longevity. He is the very first match on the very first Monday night raw, like nine years after this or something like that. Like, huh. no, it's six years after this. Sorry. I keep, I keep putting this in 1984 and it's 1987. So six years after this, He's he's Yokozuna's victim on the first match of the first Monday Night Raw, and he's tagging with Owen Hart at that time. So, oh wow, that was the- yeah, they're both wearing like crazy '90s hammer pants. You should look yeah. it up; it's pretty awesome. <laughs> was this pretty? Er- was this early in his career though? The um- debuted in 1978. So he really only hit it big around '86, '87. He was in WWF till '94. Yeah. He's still kicking. He's a, he's a good guy. My mom loved Coco Beware. She thought he was awesome. So, and yeah, she was right. He made the match for me. Yeah, he comes out flapping <laughs> his arms. He's got a parrot. It's, yeah. you know, the WWF uh, apparently added the parrot to him. He didn't have the parrot until he got there. How, how did they get that parrot to be so calm? I mean, it didn't... I don't know. I don't know parrots enough to know if that's pretty standard, but that was one thing that you know, the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, how's that parrot not just like freaking out or flying away with all, you know, surrounded by 93,000 people. I just don't understand. Like for some reason, him having a parrot is extremely logical. 
you hear the guy's name's Coco Beware. Oh, well, yeah, he should have a parrot. I don't, yeah, definitely. I don't understand where, why my brain is making that natural conclusion. And obviously someone in the WWF also made that conclusion. You know what? Your name's Coco Beware. You should have a parrot. Uh, so they, they more or less, maybe not literally, but more or less, just handed him this parrot on his way to the ring. And we're like, here, this, yeah. this is your, uh, this is your, this is your mascot now. This is your lifelong companion. Yeah, your gimmick <laughs> is that you have a parrot, and it works. And that's, I don't understand why that works at all, but it totally does. It totally makes sense. It's the most logical thing on the show. If, had it been me, I, I think you played it off well. Though had it been me, I'd have been. I'd have spent most of the match, you know, confused as to what I was going to do with the parrot afterwards. I'd be thinking that'd be, that'd be the most prominent thing in my mind throughout the entire match. It's like, I'm like, oh, what do parrots eat? I've got. A, I've got I a don't new, have a cage. Yeah, I've got a new pet now. I got to that. I got to take care of. Do I have to get him shots? What what word should I teach him first? I mean, they live they live for decades, and they have like they need yeah. simulation and stuff. That I yeah, I would be, I'd have trouble focusing on the on what was going on. I'd be like, here, do you, like, want, this I hope this... do you want this? Do you want this? You want my parrot? I, to, I would say to the so either either the ref or, uh, or... <laughs> maybe a nice a nice fan in the front row who looks like he needs a friend. You know, yeah. yeah. Pretend Here's pretend that it's your fa- favorite pet parrot that you're just willing to give to this person because you're that that awesome and and, and friendly. These are all important uh, important points to make. That's why we uh, that's why we like having you on the show. <laughs> Um, back to the action for some reason tito santana shows up at the end of this match to beat up uh slick because reasons he's just mad from the last match and that's his latin temper as <laughs> jesse ventura says so <laughs> jesse ventura once again proving <laughs> that he's a jerk. coming in with more racial stereotypes than your grandpa at thanksgiving dinner thanks jesse all right this you guys this is a barn burner this is uh Maybe, you know, one of the top 10 greatest of all time, not to overhype it, but it's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat with uh, George the Animal Steel in his corner versus Randy the Macho Man Savage with Miss Elizabeth uh, in his corner for the WWF Intercontinental Championship title. So this is our first title match on the card. Um, this is our third match in a row with an animal mascot. So we got George the Animal Steel. <laughs> um, and uh, And it's... Yeah, like I said, this is one of the ones that we talked about on your show a little bit. Um, it's it's one that I I like to just wind back and watch um, on on occasion, just because it's it's so much fun. Um, I'm sort of interested in kind of your general impressions, and then maybe we can talk about some of the more specifics. Then yeah, I would say that this this was my favorite match of of um, of WrestleMania three. Uh, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with your earlier description of it um, as, as far as just the, um, what went into it technically and as far as the choreography and, uh, you know, the, um, the, the execution of it. Uh, it it kind of it brings up a lot of questions about, um, you know, I mean, you could I could really ask this question about any match, but it's especially pertinent here is, you know, as far as how do they, um, you know, how how do the wrestlers avoid damage? How do they decide, you know? How how much of it is choreographed and how much of it is kind of off the cuff as far as deciding what moves to use and um, the way they communicate in the ring and that kind of thing, uh, because I think I, I guess all you know everything that went into making this match what it was, uh, you know, you could kind of apply to pro wrestling in general, but I guess more speci- specifically to this one because of you know the, the background of it, like you described, um, the fact that it was. I guess I don't know about re- rehearse. Like if they actually said, you know, went over, went through the moves prior to, you know, let's, you know, let's see how this works. Let's see how this works and that kind of thing. But uh, I guess if you could kind of talk more about 
about that, about what made about the you know what made this match what it was, what allowed them to execute these moves and that kind of thing and make it look the way it. Well, did. the the first thing is that they set this match up with a beautiful, amazing storyline of Macho Man being unhinged and willing to do anything to just wanting to hurt his opponent. Uh, so that that sets up a a level of danger. Uh, except for that's kind of broken when they interview the doctor that has no shirt on under his lab coat. But it's highlighted by Jesse Ventura's, whoa. Whenever Jesse goes, whoa, that means it was very serious and very bad because Jesse Ventura is a huge heel. And when he says that's bad, it's real bad. And Macho Man got about 20 of them in the lead up to set up to this match. And then both of them deliver some of their best uh, promos ever before this match. Um, the big line that comes out of Macho Man's promo is that he is the Lord and master of the ring and that history beckons the Macho Man. And this is probably Ricky Steamboat's best ever promo where he says, my last opportunity, Randy Savage, the day has finally come. The minutes, the seconds, we have reached our moment. As you and I climb into the ring, we clash like two Titans, but there will only be one winner. One winner, Savage. This dragon is made of fire. This dragon will scorch your back. I will come away with the championship belt and see new horizons. So like they've set up this massive epic stage that this is going to be an epic battle using the word beckons, you know, history beckons the macho man and then like seeing new horizons for the Ricky, the dragon steamboat. So they've already set up a canvas that is perfect for them to paint on. And then just the two men themselves, the they're in the their apex of physical shape. This is the best both of them ever look in their career. This is the most fit they ever are. They're the perfect age to be pro wrestlers. Then they took the time to lay it out. They just, you know, the, this is this is what they were going to do. And it's like 140 or so cues that they sat down together before the match and pre-planned and they would just call numbers to each other to move through these moves through the match. And they also set out with a goal to steal the show. Macho man claimed that, you know, I just wanted to do a good match. I wanted to look good. We had 90,000 people there. We wanted to, we wanted to make sure we were set. And, uh, Ricky steamboat is on the record going macho man totally wanted to steal the show. This was, that's, that was the whole point of this was for us to, uh, try and make Hulk Hogan and Andre the giant look boring and they kind of succeed. That's where we're set up. It's a different kind of match for sure. Right. And I think you can, and one of the things I like about this special actually is that you can watch both and enjoy both, but for different reasons. Like if you want to watch wrestling, this is the match for you. If you want to watch like the WrestleMania spectacle and like what the, like the eighties distilled to like four and a half minutes or whatever it was like then Hogan versus Andre is the match for you. Um, so it's, uh, there's, there's a little bit of something for everybody in this one. So there's a lot of chaos in this one too. Georgie Animal Steel is running around like a maniac with his blue tongue and the world's hairiest shoulders. Um, <laughs> like I'm pretty sure I saw that guy at Virginia Beach uh, out there in a speedo. You know, there's always that one guy. Yeah. I don't know. Did you guys have any uh, anything that stood out to you from this one? I mean, other than just the. I mean, it was a it was an all around good match, but I was excited for this one because for me, um, 
you know, whether he's the the good guy or the bad guy or whatever, or, you know, however you feel about him, uh, the macho man, Randy Savage, his voice to me is, is wrestling. You know, that's what I've it, it just, mm-hmm. um, you know, his whole, Oh yeah. That, uh, that's what I hear when I think of wrestling. So, um, I'm always happy when, whenever he comes on screen, whether it's in the ring or in a commercial or a movie, I've just, uh, as a character, I've always really liked him. Um, so, I mean, that right there was pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, the match itself was just really good. Yeah. He's iconic. Like there's, there's not really anybody else that can, that did it like him before or since. Um, there's a reason that I always go looking for his gifts when I need to react to something. So yeah. Or like, <laughs> like no matter what the, what the post is, I'm like, Hmm, macho man, sad is my search or like macho man, angry. And then I, I drop whatever gift it always, it always works. People love I'm gonna, it. I'm going to make a, a music reference here. This match is, is like Mozart and, uh, following form and so there's there's a back and forth and the back and forth is like perfectly timed like the moment you think someone's finally about to get over the edge and really put away their opponent they turn the tables around something happens a reversal a missed punch and they flip it back around and then the other person drives back at them almost at the exact same amount of time and it's back and forth and it's in a it's a beautiful form and it reaches a climax which with the the beautiful camera angle of macho man standing on top of the uh, ropes with his arms above his head and ricky is laid out on the mat and he just flies like a bird and and it's like the perfect crescendo and the peak of the match and then the chaotic coda of it all and then you get the beautiful beautiful shot of ricky steamboat hugging george the animal steel on the little cart while while holding the intercontinental belt high in the air it's it's so dramatic and it's so paced perfectly and i don't it's it's hard to to describe like what I'm feeling about this match, this match, this match really gets to me, you know, there's also also a really nice shot at the end of uh, Macho Man and, and Elizabeth riding down the long walkway on their cart and he's distraught and she's distraught. And, you know, they just both look totally defeated and, um, and it's, yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's high drama. Um, and again, it's the match that I would show to anybody who's like, Oh, wrestling stupid. And like, okay, watch this motherfucker and tell me, and if they still thought it was stupid, then I'd just punch them in the balls. I'd punch them in the boiler. That's what I'd do. <laughs> watch it again. Watch it again. That's right. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's a good one. It, uh, like I said, I think it, it gets pretty close to stealing the show. Um, and the matches after it definitely suffer a little bit. So maybe we can kind of hop through those a little bit. Um, there's a uh, honky tonk man with Jimmy Hart versus Jake the Snake Roberts with Alice Cooper. And I remember this one being like super played up. Um, and they brought Alice yeah. Cooper out. It's going to be this whole big deal. He's from Detroit. He's kind of scary. He's got a snake and he's got makeup and blah, blah, blah. But then this match is just kind of like just sort of. Yeah, Jake doesn't Jake doesn't work for me as a, as a good guy. I just the promo that he cuts before it is just so boring. Ugh. And I just don't like it. I want him to be the creepy bad guy that's talking about how he's actually a snake and like has six senses and like is just 
gross and creepy and weird, not just like honky tonk man, you're gonna get yours. That's basically what he just said before it, the match. They did like, play down the 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 snake aspect of his character a lot or his personality a lot in in this match. And it, you'd almost have forgotten you were watching a match where one of the wrestlers was you know that closely associated with a you know. Yeah, did they didn't. Did they even pull the snake out? The very, the very well, end, Cooper did it. Yeah. Yeah. Cooper did. Yeah. yeah. No, it's 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 bad. And I think, um, you know, Jake when he's in his good guy thing, he just looks like your like kind of drunken racist uncle, like at the barbecue. Um, and he's like hanging out with your your weirdo metalhead friend who came with you, uh, with Alice Cooper. And yeah. for some reason, he's starting a fight with the Elvis impersonator who's there just to do a show. So <laughs> I don't know. How high do you think? Alice and Jake are going into this match. Like how much blow is in their dressing room together before this match? I don't think there's any cocaine left in Detroit by the time those two are done. (laughs) Like, I feel like Detroit was probably not that big of a cocaine town, um, but those two guys got all of it. So they brought it. They brought more from, you know, next door. Yeah. Yeah, That was actually pretty cool when, when we were watching it and, um, you know, and they're coming to the ring, and it was like, wait a minute, is that actually that? That's, that's <laughs> He's so little. He's so little. Yeah, yeah. I think Elizabeth outweighs him at this yeah. point. <laughs> Frail little Chihuahua Elizabeth. His legs were about half as big around as either of the wrestlers' arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a good line from Jesse Ventura. He says, "Snakes are dangerous when they're hurt," which is, I guess, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends how badly they're hurt. Well, you're, you forgot the great line go for the pin honky <laughs> from from jesse as well uh and gorilla just is calling him honk, honk. through the whole man <laughs> luscious honk well this is where um mean gene gives us the attendance record a brand new indoor attendance record of ninety three thousand one hundred seventy three. and usually when that happens you know that we're getting to the end of the show um this poor uh michigan crowd is like is losing their shit. I don't know. Hopefully they've been a uh, yeah. They are hopefully been up. able to get out to the bathroom. I don't know. Do you th- do you think they're still selling beer at this time? Like, do they shut it down? Oh, they didn't have rules on that shit back then. Are you kidding <laughs> That's me? That's true. They're selling they're selling beer to the people on the way out the door after the main event. Man, yeah. <laughs> Somebody shared a video this week of uh, maybe you sent that to me. It was um it was like news footage from like the late seventies early eighties when they made drinking and driving like drinking while driving like open container illegal and there's people on the news talking about like wow this hardly is america anymore and, like this guy's like cracking a butt in the front of a seat of his car <laughs> anyway <laughs> have to imagine that's what the parking lot of this was like so yeah <laughs> this is a this is a hot one though this is uh the iron Sheik, uh the legend of the earth bubba and uh, good old Nikolai Volkov with Slick as their manager versus the Killer Bees. There's B. Brian Blair and Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. Um, the Killer Bees were like super hot for about 12 and a half minutes uh, as a tag team. Yeah. And then they just kind of disappeared. Um, There's a, uh, there is a sign uh, alert here of Hulkster's Baltimore Connection. I, awesome. What is that? Shout out to Baltimore again. What does that you mean? Know, if, I don't know, but if, if you are that person there and I know you, or I don't know you, but you know, you live in Baltimore still hit us up. Let us know who you are, who made, who carried Baltimore, who carried the Hulkster's Baltimore connection sign on a plane to Detroit. 
let us know. <laughs> is that a is that a drug reference? I think so. So like the the Sheik and, and Volkov, like everyone hates them so much. Like there's trash flying in the ring, like almost from the very beginning. Um you just you can't do that at most sporting or cultural art events. They get mad. Like everyone would like, go to the ballet and like like go to the nutcracker and when like the rat king come out or whatever, just be like throwing trash, be like, boo. Throwing your popcorn box. Your song's lame. Fucking Rat King. Um, But uh, you guys, you guys familiar? Well, we talked on your show about the Iron Sheik's Twitter account and what a what a fine Mm -hmm. piece of art it is. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting that, and I I think this was the case with. um, I don't know if this is intentional, but this seems to have been the case with a lot of the um, of these matches where you have you know the tag team matches. Uh, another example I can think of is the one where the Canadian brothers, I guess, were on one side. Is that you've got two individuals, one team that have just way more personality, or seem to have way more personality than the other team. Uh, where you know, the like, like what the Iron Sheik brings into the ring is, you know, he's he's just one of the most memorable people in, in wrestling. Like who, like anyone, even people who aren't fans know who the Iron Sheik is. And you know, I guess not not to you know not to take anything away from the the, the Bumblebee guys, but. No, I mean that's the um, you know everyone you're supposed to hate the Iron Sheik and um, but as soon as they yeah as soon as I saw the Killer Bees I was like oh well I hope they lose like badly lame <laughs> just, just seeing them made me mad <laughs> so it's it goes back to what I was saying earlier about how wrestlers prefer to be the bad guy because they can say and do whatever they want and that is exactly what Nikolai and Iron Sheik are are basking in. Um, I mean, this is, this is the twilight of the Iron Sheik's career and close to the end for Nikolai Volkov, kinda. Um, but you know, this, they, they live for this. You can, you can, if you look at Sheik, you can see he's got a little, little tiny, little childish smirk every time when he, when they do this shit. Uh, especially when Nikolai starts, uh, singing the Russian national anthem, (laughs) you know, uh, Nikolai is Croatian, by the way. He is not Russian. He's not Lithuanian, as they would say. Also, he's also a U.S. citizen by this point. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. is the Iron Sheik. Um, yeah. uh, Sheik had been a citizen for a long time at this point. Um, but yeah, the, the crowd hates them. They they're so good at getting heat. You don't see them get heat like this anymore in professional wrestling because people go, well, you know, they're so bad at being bad guys. I like them. They start cheering for them. I blame Stone Cold. Stone Cold kind of broke that. Stone Cold was supposed to be a bad guy the whole time. So was The Rock. So now, so the more modern wrestling, you've have kind of anti heroes where you know, pe- pe- you know the people hate hate them but don't hate them. Whereas yeah. back then, it was just pure animosity toward these. Guys. Absolutely. Like Iron Sheik has had death threats and and physical attacks on him trying to get to the car. They would park him in the basement of the arena so that he could drive out and not be seen by people, um, not follow him to the hotel because wrestling was real. He was he was also uh, traveling buddies with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, right. um, who shows up in this match to wave a two by four around and uh, and bring a flag to the ring and um, get some cheap patriotic cred. It's actually a sort of famous thing where they got caught like uh, what are they smoking crack? Uh, uh, they got busted for uh, cocaine, I believe, in New Jersey, and so this yeah. is actually 
This is actually like the thing, one of the big events that starts poking holes in professional wrestling kayfabe. And that's, uh, they both get arrested driving together and good guys and bad guys are not supposed to be driving together. Now, Hacksaw, uh, was supposed to actually become like the next big thing after Hulk Hogan. And you can tell kind of this, he's the big patriotic guy. He's looking very svelte in this. Like I've never seen him look in better shape before or after WrestleMania three. Um, but in a couple months, him and the sheik get arrested in New Jersey and Sheik. Uh, had more than three grams on him, apparently, which was an, a big time felony. And Hacksaw only uh, had like a gram. So that was a misdemeanor. So Hacksaw stays employed, but doesn't get the big uh, face push that was supposed to happen for him. Sheik gets fired. Sheik is gone. Sheik thinks his wrestling career is completely over. Um, and, you know, and he, he spirals out of control, poor guy. But like that was, that was, the big reason why his career was over was not because of the cocaine because everybody, all the wrestlers did cocaine. That wasn't the big deal. The big deal I'm was that he was caught right now. Right. <laughs> no, he man. was, he was caught in the press with a good guy in the same place. Big no, no. You, you broke, you just, you just tore down the curtain. People can see in the back now. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked shocked to find there are drugs going on in here so yeah so hacksaw comes in lays the wood to the heels breaks up the match uh, everybody has a good time but it does cost the faces the match uh, crowd doesn't like that there's a lot of uh a lot of a lot of trash um so and then that brings us up to the main event you guys ready are you hype I feel like we've been talking way too long, and I'm sorry. It's. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the but, listeners realize it, but it's, it's funny. Every it. time you uh, mention throwing trash, like you literally mean like actual throwing actual trash into the ring, not yeah. just like booze <laughs> and stuff. Like actually throwing trash. No, yeah, it's like, garbage. Like it was, <laughs> like popcorn bags, drink cups, uh, cans. Yeah. It looks like just, they're taking popcorn bags, balling them up, soaking them in like soda or water or beer, and th- so that they like solidify like paper mache, and then throwing that at them. You can see it bouncing off of the wrestlers as they're heading to the ring. It's. I think I don't know if I ever. Um was in a situation where I was, you know, some sort of a performer like that, even if my role was the bad guy or whatever, I don't know if I could, uh, emotionally handle a crowd of people <laughs> throwing stuff at me like that, like giant spitballs and stuff. Just, yeah, I don't know if I could throw something like imagine being in a crowd, like you're and, that mad and, at someone. Yeah, like if you're that just no matter how mad you are at this dude, like, yeah, okay. He's a, he's a heel. Yeah. I, I get it. But I, and I've got this drink in my hand. <laughs> That, that drink is not leaving my hand and flying across the space toward that guy. Like there's, I, I'm going to soak my popcorn bag in, in this how, beer. I don't care how drunk I am. I don't care what I did, what I, you know, before, before I, I made it to the venue, that, that the drink is not going into the air. It, I mean, it costs it the 1987 drink. equivalent of $11. I ain't throwing that thing. Right. I mean, exactly. a pop was 11 was, was a dollar, you know, at this show. It's crazy. That's so expensive. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm not throwing my pop. You know. yeah. Gallon of gas was cheaper. I could have just thrown that. So anyway, light <laughs> it. I don't know. Don't don't throw gas on people. It's rude. Okay. I feel like we have to keep making disclaimers. We're just yeah, we get that a lot on our show. <laughs> we're trying to we're trying to cover our legal bases. You know, when I started dating my wife, she's from Philadelphia, and uh, that's when um, I learned about 
I mean, I knew what they did that they did this, but I didn't know it was called a Philly snowball. And it's basically a D battery. <laughs> you go to an Eagles game and when they start losing, oh, you throw D batteries on the field at the players. That's that's what you do, apparently. Yeah. So what an unfortunate thing to happen on D battery night. Yeah. yeah really. <laughs> Speaking of trash, Philly's a trash town for trash people. Hey. I'm not taking that one back. It's not Suck too bad. Philly. <laughs> it's not too bad. All right. It's not too bad if you're a trash person. So anyway, finally, Andre speaks. lady. <laughs> earlier in the show, earlier in the show, we just saw him like kind of staring into space while Bobby Heenan talked. Uh, but now suddenly Andre goes and he doesn't say much. He just says, it won't take me long to come back in front of the camera with the world championship belt. And then Bobby Heenan just goes nuts. He's going to make me famous. Like that's all Bobby Heenan cares about is that he gets a champion in his stable, no matter what it takes. So I think this would be a good time to mention the lies that, that this entire storyline with Andre and Hogan is based on. So like, as, as you guys might remember, you saw in the footage going into this match, uh, Andre celebrating with Hulk Hogan. And that happened on January 23rd, 1984, it's actually what we just talked about in our most recent episode uh, where Hulk Hogan beats the Iron Sheik for the championship. Since then, Hulk Hogan has been champion three years going. Um, and so we have uh, the one week uh, President Tunney presents uh, Hogan a trophy for being a huge trophy for being champion for three years. And then the next week, Tony presents a much smaller trophy and you, I mean, you see the trophy that he presents to Andre. That's the small trophy, uh, to, to Andre for being undefeated in the WWF. Are you sure sure it was smaller? Didn't just look small in Andre the Giants hands? (laughs) (laughs) Proportion. Everything looks small in Andre's hands. Um, but so Andre has not wrestled with the WWF for 15 years at this point. Uh, his first match with the WWF was in 1973. Now the WWF universe uh, at this point, their audience, from what I can tell from the records I've been able to find online, they have not seen Andre lose, but uh, Andre loses a lot in his career. Mm-hmm. He just does. That's just how it is. Uh, you know, wrestlers lose wrestlers win. Um, so his most recent loss before this match was just a couple months before in Japan to the great Antonio Inoki. So maybe if people had, uh, gotten some bootleg tapes from their Japanese friends or something like that floated over, they might've seen Andre the giant just straight up lose. But, mm-hmm. you know, we can, we can accept that, you know, the WWF universe hasn't seen them, uh, seen Andre lose. So at the end of this match, they talk about Andre's streak, but also uh, Gorilla, and I'm pretty certain it's mentioned prior to Gorilla Monsoon mentions that um, Andre the Giant had never been body slammed. And that is a straight up lie. Um, In 1980, Hogan and Andre had a, a, uh, a big feud. 
and it was the main event for the showdown at Shea, which was a big event that they did that they only did. I think they only showed it on uh, closed circuit television. Um, and I think they sold tapes of it, but in that Hogan is the heel and Andre is the good guy and Hogan body slams Andre. No big deal. Well, it's funny when you say that, 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 you know, not only has, uh, Andre the giant been body slammed, but he's been body slammed in the WWF, you know, by, uh, Hulk Hogan before, because that's kind of what this whole, from my experience with it is that's like the main thing that this whole, um, WrestleMania three is known for was like this exactly. weekend, you know, the impossible. If you talk happens. to Hulk Hogan, he'll, he'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. He's forever giving interviews where he's talking about how <laughs> he's living the what gimmick. A, what an amazing feat it was that he did this. So I don't know. I agree with him. I, I find it hard not to be genuinely impressed regardless of uh, the, the fact that it wasn't the, he's the huge. time. Yeah. Andre's a big guy. And this is probably to, this, to give him credit. It is probably the heaviest weight Andre has been when body slammed. Um, but it's not the first, he's not the only, uh, he had been body slammed a couple times in Japan before coming over. Uh, so it was actually, uh, Vince McMahon's idea to actually tell Andre the giant to stop being like a real wrestler. So Andre used to do drop kicks. He used to do real holds, used to do real mat stuff. Like the dude was badass and he's huge. So that's why he was a real draw. But, uh, Vince told him, why don't you tone it down and just be a big lumbering invincible giant guy. It worked out pretty well for him and probably added a lot of time to his career. Yeah, he didn't have to do a whole lot. He did a bunch of yeah. uh, sort of battle royal kind of things where he would just kind of come in and toss people over the top rope and and take home the trophy for the battle royal. Um, you know, it's sort of an easy gimmick for a guy that size. Uh, he's, but yeah, he's a he's a legit talent and a legit. Uh, attra- he's an attraction, I think. Too um, at this point, he's more of like the attraction than the the talent thing, uh, which is interesting. So, uh, but there's also a. Um, you know, definitely kind of a, a changing of the guard here, right? From the the territory days of Hog of uh, Andre um, to the over the top like cartoon superstars of, of Hogan. So that's that's kind of the the backdrop and what this match is mm. is really about. I mean, it's about being like the biggest sports entertainment event of all time, but it's also really about this kind of shift. Uh, and this is like, this is the death now for the, the territory days, both this special and then this match in particular. So, uh, sorry, Andre was a huge draw in like all the territories. And, uh, it was not until like 1984 that he just like signed on stable with WWF for like 10 years before that he would work anywhere and everywhere. Any, no, doesn't matter what town, he just traveled everywhere and he worked for them and he was huge everywhere. So Hulk Hogan had become a big name through the AWA in Minnesota. And then in WWF as WWF pushed that network broad uh, broadcast thing across the coast. But Andre was known worldwide because of his actual like work in every territory. So like, uh, He's, he's worked in every state. He's worked in every country in the world. You know, it's, he's incredibly well known. And so it's the perfect match. If you're going to have a big mega super card and you're going to put your homegrown talent versus a talent that has been known all over the world before it, 
this is this is the perfect pairing. It's the the irresistible force meeting right. the immovable object. It's it Gorilla Monsoon is perfectly describing this match and how it exists and why it should exist. And so so something that impressed me about the match is, you know, uh, given everything that, you know, the 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 history behind the, the, the two individuals and, and what led up to led up to it. You know, I can't, couldn't help but notice uh, Hogan really seizing the moment in terms of, you know, obviously what he had to do in there was to, uh, he understood that he was up, up in, in the ring with someone who was, you know, much less mobile, uh, someone who, like you said, was, you know, at that point in his career was just more lumbering, uh, not, not, not moving around a lot, but so I, it's something I noticed is that Hogan just in his kind of um, his own animated way sort of made up that gap, you know, and it really upped the contrast between their two styles. The fact that he had to kind of, you know, that he had to go in there in front of this crowd of 93,000 people and basically do the work of two wrestlers because one of them is, is able to do very little. And, and, you know, you could see it, you could see that he had, he had the energy for, for both of them. Yeah. He's basically wrestling like a refrigerator at this point. Like, so he's, he's like a, he's like a weasel on crack in there. He's just like, going to town and everything everything you know his something about his face too is you know he has such an expressive face he's got big eyes he's got that facial hair he's got the hair that kind of frames his face and i think that's that's part of what kind of makes him look so expressive um and every move you know that that andre no sells you know sh- that shock registers on hogan's face and every time that uh you know hogan or hogan takes a takes a swift chop or uh, almost gets pinned by the um, you know, Andre falling on him, you know, you see the fear in his face and he, you know, he was really good at that, at that kind of thing. I mean, I think that's, um, one of the things that really made him great. So he's fighting, you know, this is what you call fighting from underneath, right? He's never really, um, taking over here. Andre is always on top of him. Andre is always bigger, stronger and, and working him over. Um, but he gets his, uh, he gets his shot and he goes for it. He hits the, Hits the kick, hits the uh, um, the body slam, of course, and then drops the big leg, uh, and gets the pin, and the crowd goes bananas. Um, so you guys obviously have seen that slam. Have you actually seen this whole match though before start to finish? I don't believe I had up until before this. No, this was for some. I've actually watched the entire match. Yeah, the the slam gets excerpted a lot, right? It's in all yeah. the all the clip shows it's in commercials it's you know it's all over the place but yeah but i think what's interesting is to actually play it back and um and watch the whole thing sort of unfold it's also it's not long but it's like long enough to really um create some tension you know that the time listed here is 12 minutes um a lot of that is them like staring at each other you know um mm. and a lot of just not really going at it, but just like him trying and not getting anywhere, right? Like hitting hitting Andre and Andre no selling it. Yeah, I had never realized how stiff uh, Hogan was working in this match. He is hitting Andre the Giant really hard. You can see sweat flying off of Andre's chest when he's taking those chops to the chest. And you know, there's you can't you can't fake that. I mean, just because Andre's big doesn't mean that's not hurting him. You know, he's, he's eaten those shots and Andre, you know, knows he has to, because it doesn't look realistic if it looks like Hogan is pulling his punches at all. You know, you have to hit him. 
You have it has to look real because what else is Hogan going to do to Andre? You're going to roll him up in a small package? You're going to sunset flip him? No, right. it's 550 pounds, seven foot tall. You know, put him in a figure four leg lock. Right. You yeah. know, <laughs> he's going to roll him over in the Boston Crab. Got him. Nailed it. Uh, so you, he, all you can do is just hit him and hit him and hit him and hope to get him off balance. And he's really hitting him because it's got to look real. It's the only way this match works. The the wind up the the just the the, um, the level of, the, you know when he threw the, when he threw the punches and that or the or the slaps or that kind of thing is just is interesting seeing the way he wound up it, you know anything he could do to get the crowd into it and to to show movement or energy that the crowd could could see from you know half a mile or however the however far the furthest uh, seats were um, it, it seems like he went into the ring with taking all that into account that that you know. Uh, what is gonna what is gonna work and look right for someone who who's who sees me as a ant from their distance? <laughs> yeah, it's got to work from the cheap seats too, right? Like, yeah. So he, <laughs> it, it just it gave me a little more respect for him as a you know as a professional and doing what he did is to just kind of kind of taking that into account. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that he was a showman and probably one of the best in ring showmen ever. He knew how to get. The, he knew the timing with the crowd. He knew how to get the crowd behind him. He knew how to make things kind of look believable. Uh, sometimes there's other moments where he doesn't, but you know, nobody's perfect, but he, there is a charisma that he oozes in the ring that, uh, and he kind of hints at that at his, uh, pre-match promo where he's talking about how, like, he's not worried about the people in in the in the silver dome or across the street watching on on closed circuit television but he's he's worried about all the other people in the world that aren't going to see it and how they need he needs their energy to defeat the giant you know so he knows he's, he's got he's this hanging charisma. and banging right he's hanging and banging yeah <laughs> he's got this in, incredible charisma that becomes so overwhelming that as this match goes and builds uh, Jesse Ventura stops talking during this match he he stops his color commentary of picking on the ref or saying that Heenan needs to be more involved or that Hogan is cheating. I mean Hogan cheats, mm-hmm. but he 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 lays out he you know Hogan's charisma takes over and Gorilla Monsoon is even very minimally talking, just covering the action, not throwing in any of his poetry or anything like that. Halfway through the match, there's almost no commentary. And it's because Hogan's mm-hmm. charisma just carries the whole moment along with Andre's stoicism. Like he looks unbreakable. He looks unstoppable and somehow Hogan pulls it out. And so it doesn't matter that the WWF has lied to us about, (laughs) (laughs) about the whole buildup and the whole story uh, and, and lore of this match. It doesn't matter because Hogan and Andre are just so charismatic and work so perfectly together yeah okay yeah, they were good contrast yeah okay he's never body slammed him even though i got a vhs tape at home of him doing it right. yeah i've never seen seen andre the giant lose i guess but you know oh yeah he writes in japan and he loses a lot in japan you know like it doesn't matter just like how it doesn't matter whether wrestling's real or not you know this moment yeah. is so big and so grandiose and so dramatic that it, it it's real it is. Yeah, but like I said, that that moment was, you know, 
what all of that was leading up to. That's what the whole that's what this whole event is known for. As um yeah, that one moment. Yeah. And it's a and it's a perfect ending. You get Andre riding down the riding down the aisle in a little cart. Bobby Heenan is is looking distraught. Hogan is in the ring to to pose. He may still actually be there posing. I don't know. Um oh no, that's not true. They tore down that uh, silver dome and he's still there uh, anyway. He's he's like, he's just like going from house to house and posing in front of people's uh, kids or whatever. So the last, the last thing that we always do when we run these down is sort of pick a best match, a worst match. And if you had like an oh shit moment, a a moment that really like kind of took you out of yourself and made you sort of stand up and pay attention. um, Did you guys have a, a favorite match out of the card? Uh, I would say the, um, the, the dragon uh, versus, um, Macho Man was uh, that that stood out, but as we as we talk about the the very last match, the Hogan versus Andre, and I think back about it, it's it, it, like in my mind, it's more, uh, uh, you know, it's it didn't didn't reach the technical level of um, some of the other matches, but just as a as a show, as a putting on a show, uh, it, was, it was spectacular. You know, it worked. Uh, it couldn't couldn't have worked better for what they were trying to accomplish. What about you, Jeff? Um, there was a lot of. Uh, a lot of the matches were really good, but I'd definitely say the last one um, for me, just because, um, you know, even if you hate him, Hulk Hogan kind of embodies what, you know, pro wrestling is all about. And then Andre the Giant, I've always been a big fan of his ever since, you know, choosing him as a character as a regular in the original Nintendo game. Uh, <laughs> and also, um, you know, obviously from the Princess Bride and um, a couple of things like that, uh, you know, always been a big fan of. Uh, both those um, those guys or those characters or whatever you want to say. Uh, so for me, I'd say that the final match was my probably my favorite. Yeah, I think that's what we both chose when we wrote it up for the blog. Um, did you have a uh, a worst match or a least favorite match from what you saw? Um, for me, it'd probably be the Killer Bees. <laughs> this has really annoyed me. <laughs> like as soon as they came out, I was like, "This is fuck these guys." <laughs> made me mad. Yeah, <laughs> everything about them made me mad. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. He was jealous. You were jealous of him. Yeah, I was very jealous. That's why I was mad. I was like, I want to be a killer. <laughs> you were like, why can't there be three of them and I can be one? But it's yeah. not, in 1987, so you would have yeah. been like, you'd be like, why couldn't I have been 10 years old in one of I went home that years? night and designed my luscious bee costume. <laughs> luscious, <laughs> bee. luscious bee. <laughs> they actually, uh, they actually did. They were wore masks for a while, so you, you guys totally could have been bees. You could have been like substitute bees and just swap you in whenever. Um, yeah. Other than the fact that we were ten at the time, we totally would have yeah. fit right yeah. in as a as celebrities. I don't know if I ever really uh, forgave them for killing uh, Macaulay Culkin and my girl, but uh, too soon, <laughs> exactly. Too soon, man. Too soon. We can't talk about that. Too soon. Here's the, re- here's the wrestlers. It's too soon. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's that. That match is kind of a bummer. I don't. The Hercules and Billy Jack Haynes one kind of bores me, uh, and the double count out is kind of like, eh. Rich, did you? Which that one? That match was boring, but. Um, I still just like the fact that that guy claims to be Hercules. <laughs> I give that one a pass just for that. No, that's legit. That's legit. I don't remember which one in the blog that I said I didn't like the most, but I think on this watching, it's the Jake the Snake versus Honky Tonk Man. And the big reason why for me is that this entire match felt like it was only set up to get the finish, to get the to get the post-match dramatics of Alice Cooper getting the snake on uh, on Jimmy Hart, my man. And so that like everything else in this actual match didn't seem to matter. 
it just all everything was about the post-match theatrics of honky tonk man running away and leaving jimmy hart so uh that's uh that is the one that that is the one that you put for for the blog i was about to say i've got the blog post here and yeah yeah, that was the same one you hated back then so you're (laughs) you're consistent consistent. yeah so um the other one is the um yeah, I, I agree. Killer bees, like I said, it's the the, the fact that um, I would have liked to really have seen the Iron Sheik go to it a little bit more, but that that one gets broken up so quickly by hacksaw. So I bl- I blame the cocaine. Um, and then did you have a like an oh shit moment for this one? I actually might want to go back now that I think about it. Um, I might want to agree with Rich on that one because as far as the worst match, because that with without Jake's. With Jake the Snake not being Jake the Snake, not you know, it, he was he's boring. That was a really boring match. I mean, you would think even the fact that even bringing Alice Cooper out to stay on your corner really didn't do anything for it. It, it was just like, well, <laughs> it was. I was kind of expecting Alice Cooper to be badly hurt just being near the wrestler. Like if one <laughs> of them like threw a punch that that came within a foot of him or something like that, you know, break his nose. Um, yeah. So, oh shit, moment. He definitely looks a little too fragile to be out there with the big boys. Yeah, yeah. I was scared for him. I was legit scared for Alice Cooper. I was like, okay, I had to tell myself it's okay, and he's still alive. <laughs> I've seen. He him doesn't die then. in 1987 <laughs> at, at, at WrestleMania three. He's okay. He's playing golf on Hawaii uh, with Willie Nelson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, well, while you think about that, Rich, for the blog, you you um you tossed tossed a coin between Hogan slamming Andre and the Brutus beefcake uh, face turn with the, the barber. I'm going to pivot. Okay, go for it. My oh shit moment actually was uh, like 30 seconds into Andre versus Hulk and Hulk goes for the body slam and Andre completely just pancakes on him. If you've never seen this match and you don't know anything really about wrestling in the eighties and you see that, you legit think that's the end of this match and that this main event, you know, this, that's, that could be it that, and it's miraculous that Hulk Hogan kicks out. Like if you, if so I think that's honestly the best moment because that also just sets up this whole match of, of uh, Hulk fighting from under underneath, you know, it, it, literally he is in, in at that moment. Um, but it, it makes the entire match a comeback for him because 30 seconds in it's a blowout. Andre wins done, you know? So I think that's actually my Oh shit moment. Yeah, and he barely gets out from internet underneath that too. Cause Andre is not really helping him, uh, helping nope. him kick out at all. So, all right. Did you guys come up with something for the Oh shit moment? Yeah. I think for me, um, it would when uh macho man got up on the ropes because that's just an iconic scene. So, or, you know, I mean, that's something you see a lot over the years, but just, you know, when he got up there and did that, I don't know, that was just like instant nostalgic for me. And I, you know, in my head, I was just like, Oh shit, there we go. <laughs> that's what you want to see. Like, Oh, I remember that. Yeah, exactly. Now go watch any modern wrestling and watch how long it takes someone to climb to the top rope compared to how fast macho man does it. It'll blow your mind. Yeah. Macho Man is up there in one step. Just whoop, whoop, right there. He's there. Uh, yeah. Nowadays, and even then, a lot of the wrestlers is like three or four steps, and it's several seconds, and it's un, it's it's 
it takes you out of the moment of disbelief of wrestling sometimes with how long it mm-hmm. takes them to get up there and how long the opponent lays prone waiting for them to jump on them. But Macho Man, his speed to get up there is so fast that it's completely believable that you would still be knocked out and laying down when he comes flying yeah. at you. So good pick. I barely had time to put my, my bean dip down, watch him climb up there. <laughs> Andy, did you uh did you have any a different one or uh... I would say the, the first when Hulk Hogan first uh the first interview or I, uh when he, <laughs> when, he did that, when he spouts nonsense. Yeah, that's... I don't know, I'm trying to I'm having a hard time verbalizing what I find interesting and fascinating about Hulk Hogan, but it's just it's something to do with the fact that he he seems to live his life like all I need is energy. I don't need uh, I don't need content. I don't need to make sense. I don't need to you know. It's just if if you know he's just like a ball, like an enormous. I don't know how he wants. What is he three? Maybe uh, yeah, a big ball of muscle and energy. And you know sometimes that works. And for him, it works. That's a good observation, actually. Yeah. It's uh, right because there you, you there isn't a, there isn't a whole lot of content there. He comes at you with the four right. demandments, and that's it. Yeah, he's got a good tan. <laughs> he's got big arms. He'll tear his shirt off if he needs to, and everything is just... Uh... He looks like he's shooting lasers at you all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's a nutcase. There's a video going around right now where someone took a Hulk Hogan promo and reversed the audio, and it still works. <laughs> you can't understand a single word that he's saying, I believe it. but I believe the energy it. that still comes yeah. through, it's so intense that you're like, yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm with this guy. This is amazing. Hulk Hogan all the way. Like it's, it easily makes as much sense as hanging and banging. Yes. I'll just say, uh, mine is probably, I don't know. There's a bunch of them in this show. Um, one of the ones that gets me every time is Adrian Adonis flipping over the top turnbuckle. Um, like he's not like 300 pounds and giant granny panties. That dude just, he just whips right over the top. Like he's like, he's fucking Ric Flair. Like it's incredible. Um, yeah. that blows my mind. Um, this was one of the first times we saw him and we're like, wait, do we like Adrian Adonis? Like, is he, is he, maybe he's good. And it turns out he's actually really good. If you go back and watch some other stuff. Yeah. So that was a good one. We always do a little in memoriam section for the folks that we've lost uh, who are no longer with us. Um, So we'll just run down the in memoriam section for WrestleMania 3 from 1987 include Adrian Adonis, Andre the Giant, King Kong Bundy, British Bulldog, Dynamite Kid, Fabulous Moolah, Howard Finkel, Aretha Franklin, Mr. Fuji, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Hercules. Junkyard Dog, Little Beaver, Little Tokyo, Lord Littlebrook, Miss Elizabeth, Gloria Monsoon, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, Mean Gene Okerlund, Rowdy Rowdy Piper, King Harley Race, Randy the Macho Man Savage, George the Animal Steel, Luscious Johnny Valant, Nikolai Volkov, Tom Zank, Referee Dave Hebner, Referee Jack Lotz, referee Joey Morella, son of Gorilla Monsoon, uh, Butch Reed, and the Pontiac Silverdome, demolished 2018. Anyway, well, that's our episode of all the WrestleManias. Again, we really appreciate the Turtle Wars guys being here with us. Um, we hope you had a good time. Would you be uh, interested in watching more wrestling shows in the not too distant future? 
had an excellent oh absolutely time. Yeah. yes yes yeah maybe we can watch one that's uh i don't know we could we could find something a little more modern or even older or find some extra bat shit to watch uh, we'll, we'll figure out something good um so again you can find them on uh, turtlewars.net on all your favorite podcast apps uh, jeff and andy we we really appreciate you being here their their podcast is great you should check it out it's a lot of yeah. fun uh, listen along they have they have ridiculous conversations like like if you had a like a good friend that you had like ridiculous conversations with like um, or if you've, if you've ever wanted one, um, that's a good podcast to listen to because then you can like pretend you have friends. Um, that's, like that's the main reason I listen to it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I laugh, I pretend I'm talking to the guys, and we have a good time. So. I can't suspend believe that much to believe that I have friends. So, it's nice because it helps me stop crying for like a few hours a day, you know, when I listen. So, I appreciate that. Anyway, Turtle I Wars. I just watched that Hulk Hogan promo over and over again. All right, guys. Well, thanks again uh, for so for yeah, now. Thanks for having us. This has been great. Yeah, Thank you. We'll, we'll do it again real soon. Um, so for now, I'm your co-host Tim, and I'm Rich. I'm saying so long, everybody. Uh,